to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, Reiki practitioner, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. Remember my disclaimer, the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice and is not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, submit it on the podcast page at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join our Facebook group, Wellness Wellness Podcast Tribe. Happy Cyber Monday. I hope you're taking advantage of all of the awesome deals going on right now. I certainly am. And if you're on my newsletter list, you probably got my email with all my favorite Black Friday, Cyber Monday deals that have been going on. My sugar-free, sweetener-free dessert recipe ebooks, hashtag no sugar, no problems, are on sale until the end of today, Cyber Monday, for 20% off if you use the code BF2019. You can find those on my website or at gum.co slash NSNP bundle. I am also putting my Paleo Women Lifestyle Program, which is my online course that you do on your own time whenever you can. You have access to it forever. I'm putting that on sale for 20% off until the end of today as well. So if you're interested in that, just go to bit.ly slash lifestyle, or you can find the link to that on my website as well. If you are a woman and you love all things health and wellness and you're interested in optimizing your own health and busting any health myths and you like learning about balancing your hormones and optimizing digestion and stress management and body image and all of the health hacks, then that course is for you. Some other big deals that are going on today that I just want to remind you about is my discount code for NED, which is my favorite full spectrum hemp oil, aka CBD oil. That discount code will give you 20% off on Cyber Monday instead of the usual 15% off. So you can go to helloned.com and use my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S for 20% off today only. And then after today, it goes back to 15%. If you're looking for high quality CBD, this is the best stuff on the market. And you know, when it comes to fitness programming, my top rec is Mind Pumps MAPS programs, and the MAPS programs are on sale for 50% off today. So if you go to their website, you can enter the code CYBERMONDAY50, CYBERMONDAY50, and that will get you 50% off, and you can just go to bit.ly slash mindpumpcrw to check out all of their programs. So those are the deals that are going on right now. I hope you're taking advantage of them. Get ahead on your holiday shopping, I promise. You'll be so thankful for that later in December. All right, those are my updates for you today. Let's go ahead and talk about today's guest, Arielle Laurie. Arielle is the creator of The Blonde Files. You can find her blog at theblondefiles.com. You can find her on her podcast, which is The Blonde Files Podcast, and on Instagram at Arielle Laurie. 
She covers such a wide range of topics on her platforms, talking about all things health and wellness, especially related to gut health, nutrition, hormonal balancing, but she also talks about her favorite beauty tips, relationships, mental health, her history recovering from alcoholism and drug addiction, and everything in between. I had been following Ariel for quite some time and officially met her a couple months ago at a Hello Wellness event that she hosted, and then we got together and podcasted, and I just had such a great time getting to know her better. Ariel is so down-to-earth, so intelligent, so self-aware and reflective, and very hardworking, has so much heart just talking to her. I mean, she does what she does really to help people and to create a community And you can just tell with certain people when they really have the passion behind what they do. And I love just how open and honest and vulnerable she is about her story and her life. And we have a lot in common in terms of some of our health history. And I think we just think very similarly. So I have just loved getting to know her more. And we also recorded a podcast for her podcast, The Blonde Files. So if you want to listen to me on her show, just make sure you head over to her podcast and listen to that there. But on today's episode, we're diving into Ariel's history. And we talk about everything from her life now as an influencer and what that involves as well as her history with drug addiction and alcohol abuse and her struggles with gut health over the year, her relationship with exercise and how that has changed. Really interesting journey and sort of the path she's on now and where she sees her brand going. We cover a lot and I know you guys are going to absolutely love this. So without further ado, let's go ahead and hop into this chat with Arielle Laurie. Yeah. So what made you want to start a podcast? You know, it was something that I was thinking about all of last year. I mean, there were a few a few factors that went into it. Like, one, I just felt like I'm an authority on my experience mm-hmm. and I'm an expert on that. But beyond that, like, I don't have qualifications <laughs> necessarily to be like giving out health advice. And I try to be really clear about that on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And but like this whole thing started by me just like sharing my journey. Mm-hmm. So that's great up to a certain point. But I realized that like I have access to so many interesting people and like experts in their own fields and just like everybody has a story and everybody has something to share. So last year I was like, God, I really want to start a podcast. But I was like petrified. Why? Just I don't know. Like I I think it was so easy for me to sit behind like a keyboard and that's like Mm -hmm. that became my comfort zone. And I'm really good with writing. Um but I'm a little more like cautious with speaking. I've just always been that way. And so I was like, I don't know, like, that's so scary. It's like really putting yourself out there. And I had no clue where to start, like how, what equipment Mm -hmm. we were just talking about all of this. Um, And I just had a million reasons why it was not the right time to do it. Mm -hmm. And something just kind of shifted like in the beginning of the year. And I really, um, I felt like, I let fear kind of hold me back last year in a lot of ways. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm just going to like, like the skinny confidential says, she says launch fast and adjust. And Mm -hmm. I was like, you know what? I'll just do it. Like I'll just start where I am and figure it out as I go. And like, I think it's just 
really important to diversify if you're like a social media influencer um, or if that's where your business is, it's mm-hmm. solely on Instagram or solely on YouTube or whatever mm-hmm. to like diversify and have different channels. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that's like really been on my mind lately. And I've been thinking like, how can I, how can I have more going on than just that one thing? Mm-hmm. And how can I, reach different people and bring different people to my audience and so that was like what pretty much how the podcast came around long answer (laughs) I know I love the answer well I relate to that too because I'm definitely better written than spoken Mm -hmm. and for me it's just always trying to put myself out there and getting very comfortable with being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. but the nice thing about podcasts is that I can put one out and I'm not seeing any direct comments like underneath the podcast. Yeah. You know, like true. I don't really know what people are saying unless I go look up reviews on iTunes. But you know, if you post a YouTube video or Instagram, it's just so much more direct. Right. Or people can just, and I think it's interesting because <laughs> some of the questions people ask you, I find so interesting. <laughs> I was listening to some of your Q and A's on YouTube uh-huh. and I feel like people uh-huh. are very rough with you. Yeah. I think people have this perception of me and it's fair. Okay. I get it. Like I'm married to a guy twice my age. who's like very wealthy. Mm -hmm. And I think from the outside, I look like maybe some like blonde bimbo or like not bimbo necessarily, but like, I think I just kind of fit this like stereotype that Mm -hmm. like, I don't have substance to me and that like, I'm a gold digger. And, um, so I get it. But yeah, at the same time, people are kind of harsh. It's uh, well, how do you deal with those accusations? I mean, it's taken a while, but at this point, like, there are a few things. If you're in a good place, you're not saying those kinds of things Mm -hmm. to other people. They're projecting their own shit onto me. And Mm -hmm. like, I'm very aware of that. Some people say, like, oh, they're just jealous. And like, okay, that's like, I don't know. I don't like to think that because I don't necessarily think people are jealous of me. I think that's kind of like an easy, easy rationalization. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, I feel like, um, I think if hurt ha- people hurt people, hurt people, hurt people. And if you have like a fulfilled life and like a lot going on in your life, like you're not sitting on social media trying to tear people down mm-hmm. through like, passive aggressive questions or comments or like just flat out rudeness yeah so it's like easier said than done but it depends kind of like how I'm doing spiritually Mm -hmm. (laughs) sometimes I can just let it totally roll off me and then other times I get really triggered but lately you know I've kind of I've kind of like just stopped giving a can I swear yeah like I just kind of like I got to this point in like the late spring, early summer, when I was like trying to like sign with a big agency and like do all these things, social media. And I was so caught up in like the numbers and they're like, yeah, you need to have like the story views and how many, what your reach is and how many like this and that it's all metrics. Right. Mm-hmm. And like it's one big popularity contest. Mm-hmm. And I was so caught up in it. And then I was I just like reached a breaking point and I took a step back and I was like, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. Like it really doesn't. Yes, it matters because like it is my job at the end of the day, but, um, long in the long run, like big picture, like it just doesn't matter. And I've been trying to like focus my attention on 
things that I can do that are fulfilling to me that help other people. And like the numbers are going to fluctuate no matter Mm -hmm. what. It's an interesting business, Instagram and social media, and a lot goes into it. And I think it bothers me that so many people think that if you're an influencer, whatever you want to call it, like you don't do anything. And Mm -hmm. we were just talking about this before, like so much goes into it. And I feel like there are quote influencers. I don't even know what word I want to (laughs) use, but um, who don't really do anything. But then I know just as many, if not more, who have a bit like a it's a business and they're working more hours than people I know who you know work their nine to five so I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of the business side of what you do like I don't think people understand all the thing all the different tasks you have you I mean you have like Instagram you have YouTube you have the podcast now you have the blog you have cookbooks like what like talk a little bit about what all goes into what you do okay so I'll break it down a little bit so the podcast in itself as you know I mean you've been doing it way longer than I have but that's it can be like a full-time job in Mm -hmm. and of itself because you have to start by like okay I'm pitching myself to other podcasts because that's how you kind of like network and cross pollinate and all of that (laughs) I don't know if that's the right word but um, it (laughs) it sounds like we're mating I know (laughs) pretty much yeah basically Um, so like there's that end of it and then it's finding people to book on the podcast and like that takes a lot of work and persistence Mm -hmm. and reaching out to people and Um, researching people that you think your guests would find interesting and topics and all of that. And then the scheduling component of it, which can get complicated. And then there's prepping for the interviews. And I like to go in really prepared um, because I want to know who I'm talking to Mm -hmm. and like have a substantive conversation. And so there's that part. And then there's the recording. And then there's post-recording, editing, and um, and then there's like, of course, the social media channels and um, even just, you know, the descriptions and posting it on to. So that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing with the podcast that I think people don't understand is that like iTunes has an algorithm, too. Yeah. So it's like so you have to I mean, if you care about numbers, which like I think all of us do. And mm-hmm. it's like I want to get the podcast out there and have more people than just my core base audience hear it um but then you need to get the reviews and you have to get downloads and so you're like promoting it on whatever social channels so that's the podcast Mm -hmm. and usually I try to record some weeks I'll do like a lot like four a week and Mm -hmm. then that's like a lot for me two a day it is is a lot yeah and then sometimes I'll do like one or two yeah but I like to do a lot like in New York next week I think I'm doing like eight or ten or something crazy that's insane yeah yeah because even after one you know you get tired yeah Yeah. it's like mentally yeah they're like big conversations (laughs) yeah and and especially when you're the interviewer because you kind of are responsible for guiding it Mm -hmm. and I think it's way more stressful being on that end Mm -hmm. than being the interviewee so that's the podcast um Instagram I have managers for Instagram. So what that means is that they handle all of my brand collaborations and incoming. And, um, you know, I get emails all day from like 95% of them are like nothing companies, Mm -hmm. but, or people that I wouldn't work with. Um, but they handle who I'm going to collaborate with for sponsored content. So I'm really picky about that. And I think, I hope people 
kind of notice that like I really only do a few a month mm-hmm. um, and I try to do things that are really like aligned to me and that I actually like and that I actually use and I am in a position where like it's nice that I don't have to do it to pay my rent mm-hmm. like you know I'm married and I'm so there's that so it takes a little bit of the stress off of it but um, with brand collaborations there are submission dates when you have to submit to the brand there's a lot of deliverables you have to do Instagram stories usually Instagram photos sometimes a blog post Mm -hmm. Um, so you have to meet the deliverables submit the content and then um, and then you have your post date and so I do that a few times a month sometimes I do more sometimes I'll do like a couple a week it just depends Um, so there's that and then like my day-to-day Instagram like I try to be as authentic as possible and kind of like, you know, some days I have something to share, other days I don't, but I try to always be on stories, which is <laughs> kind of a lot. Yeah. Um, and again, I kind of like, I used to feel like I had to do it all the time. And I think there's this thing in social media where like we're constantly inundated with like everybody else, what everyone else is doing, what they're achieving how much they're sharing, what they're reach, you know, it's just like, so it's hard to ever take a step back and set boundaries and take time off. And for a long time, I would like get up in the morning at seven and for two and a half hours, three hours, I would be on Instagram writing Mm -hmm. because like, I don't just on a whim, usually write a post. Like I'll try to put a lot of thought into it. Mm -hmm. And not to mention shooting content for Instagram, which, um, you know, it all takes so long. Yeah. (laughs) It's such like yesterday I shot with a photographer and we shot like one campaign and then we shot like four looks. And so that's Mm -hmm. like a few hours and then there's the editing process. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's a lot. It's definitely a lot. I, um, I'll do like social media detoxes every couple months Mm -hmm. and, I just wrote about this and I was talking about it a lot, but this most recent one, I just realized, I mean, my business isn't really on Instagram, but I, I mean, I still, I use Instagram to promote like my blog posts, my podcasts and being off just for that week. I was like, I just really hate the fact that every morning it takes me like an hour and a half to do my Instagram post. And that's not even my real like work. Right. You know? And I'm like, it like makes me start to resent it. Cause I'm like, I could totally. put that hour and a half into something that is like my actual work or more productive in my head. Mm -hmm. It's just this weird cycle. Yeah. And it's never really like a constant thing. Like I haven't found like a strict routine that totally works. Like I no longer get up at seven and get right on my phone because Mm -hmm. that was terrible for my mental well being. And like, I will, like I said, I'll shoot with a photographer so that I have some content, but then I have to like write it, but sometimes I'll do it in advance. So like I have some content, already done so that I can just post but I also like I feel like I never I didn't start this whole thing to like be an influencer I definitely was strategic about it Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so it's not like I just got here and was like oh I don't know how that happened but like I, I don't think of myself as like a traditional influencer per se um so I try to do like a mix of like some more like aesthetically pleasing content like pre-shot with a professional photographer Mm -hmm. and then like I'll just also do like real-time stuff Mm -hmm. um and I'm sure people are listening to this thinking like 
oh my God, taking pictures, it's so hard. <laughs> but um, it is, it's, it is like, it I can't is. really describe like constantly having to be creative. This yeah. is what I find hard. Finding new ways to be creative, especially now when it's so hard to stand out mm-hmm. um, and it's not impossible, but like organic reach is way down. Mm-hmm. My reach is one fifteenth of what it was last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just because of Instagram and the algorithm and people can say like, no, it's because of the content. I think it's a little bit of both, but yeah. like my reach, no matter what used to be 200,000. Now it's, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. very like dismal compared to that. So finding new ways to get creative and make content that um, people are going to find valuable and interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, you have maybe half a second to a second to get somebody's attention. Mm -hmm. People really aren't compelled to read captions anymore. And that was one thing that was like kind of discouraging for me because the whole reason that I actually liked having this account was because I was able to connect with people and Mm -hmm. share like something important. I thought, and, um, and it's like, I'll sit there and write for an hour or like however long and then put it out there. And then if it doesn't really get a response, it's like, okay, well that's just like energy and like a little piece of my soul that like I just put out there and I'm like, I'm never going to get back. Yeah. And it's kind of like hurtful. I mean, I don't know. Um, no, it is that it's, I've have felt the same way. And that's why I've been like talking about like I'm just trying to move everything to my, my website now mm-hmm. yeah. because at least I feel like it's not just going away or like, I right. mean, it was, it's very discouraging when you spend so much time on Instagram and then it's crickets. Yeah. And you're just like, this isn't the community it used to be. Well, I think people are being more cognizant of how much time they're spending on social media mm-hmm. and not mindlessly scrolling. And I think mm-hmm. that's why like podcasting is so big right now because mm-hmm. People can do it while they're working out or walking the dog or grocery shopping and they're, it's like considered something like healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like, you know, I think people are just kind of like over it with yeah. social media and, and I get it. I'm kind of over it too. Yeah. So I did the same thing. Like I am redoing my website and there's a certain sense of security there where it's like, okay, I own this. It's not going to go away tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> I can write at length about what I want and mm-hmm. people can read it or not. And it doesn't really matter how many comments I get <laughs> yeah, or how many, you know, whatever the, the metrics are. Um, so I totally get that. And like, like having a product outside of it, like yes. a cookbook. And, um, I'm actually thinking about going back to school next year. For what? Well, I dropped out of under- doctor. I, gr- I dropped out of undergrad a few times, so I still need to finish that. Oh, so I okay. was like, where do I want to be? I don't know. I always, I've always said like not going to med school was like my regret. Uh-huh. I don't know that I would do it now because it's just such, it would be at least 10 years yeah. of my life and I don't want to make that commitment, I don't think. Um, but I am looking to get my BS in integrative health and then maybe go on and get my master's. It's like, yeah. And that's something that I can do that's fulfilling for me, but it also is going to help my business and my audience and you know who knows where I would go with it yeah but I kind of like I came to another breaking point (laughs) I feel like I've had a lot of those lately (laughs) but like where I was just feeling so stuck Mm -hmm. and like really unfulfilled with social media um and I was like god like I was doing a lot of soul searching and I was like that's something that like has nagged at me Mm -hmm. because like I'm very open about 
my recovery. And mm-hmm. so when I went to college, I was, I was smart and I got into a good school and I, like I started partying. And so that just took over. And so it wasn't for like a lack of, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know. It was just, I couldn't see anything else except for like drugs and alcohol. So all of my other ambitions and aspirations and everything fell by the wayside. Mm-hmm. And when I got sober, five years ago I was like or six years ago I was like maybe I'll do it now but it just wasn't the right time so so how long were you struggling with substance abuse um it was like give or take 10 years okay like the really it was really bad for 10 years Mm -hmm. so I started in high school and I got sober at 28 okay what what was your first exposure to to drugs to drugs (laughs) Um, there was a lot of cocaine. I think the first time I did cocaine was like, be like graduation of my senior year. So mm-hmm. before that it was just drinking. Um, and I didn't have like any, I didn't have a traumatic childhood. I didn't have like any of the kind of pre-qualifications that some people have or adverse childhood events mm-hmm. that like, and I don't have it in my family, nothing. Um, so it was really strange. And like, I kind of, like drinking definitely did something for me different from the people around me. Like it, it meant something different to me and I had a different reaction and it was like fulfilling me, like filling a void that I didn't even know I had it mm. had at the time. Um, and then I was blacking out all the time. <laughs> and so then I found cocaine and I was like, Hey, I can drink as much as I want and not black out. And so that was kind of like my experience with drugs over 10 years was like, it all kind of was just to like enhance my drinking Mm -hmm. because alcohol was like my true love, but like it gave me, I mean, I would black out. I would get really bad anxiety attacks after drinking. Mm -hmm. So then Xanax came into the picture and then the Xanax also helped with the cocaine and (laughs) Mm -hmm. like coming down and then I would take Adderall to come back up. And so it was like this whole cycle how were the people around you responding? Like, were people trying to get you to get help or were the people around you also involved? Uh, both. So I went to rehab for the first time when I was 19 or 20. And it was because I had gotten a DUI. So I was kind of like, I mean, I was in total denial, but I was also so young. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, I got busted for doing something that all my friends do. Mm-hmm. And like at that point, I don't think anyone really like knew for sure that it was a problem, but they were just like, okay, there's something going on. Like mm-hmm. we need to try to do something. And then I went to treatment basically every two years after that. Mm-hmm. So my family always cared and they were always concerned But I think any like alcoholic or addict would probably tell you that like we find lower companions (laughs) and people like on our level, Mm -hmm. like water seeks its its own level and like partiers are going to want to find other partiers. And so um, occasionally like I had some friends um, that would be concerned, I guess, but not really. Mm -hmm. It was pretty much like I was pretty much hanging out with people that were doing the same thing that I was doing. So at what point did you realize, like, this is a problem? Like, I really need to... Well, I didn't really make the decision to get sober myself. Like, I got to a point where I was living in West Hollywood. My boyfriend moved out um, because I was, like, such a wreck. 
And when he left, I just kind of gave up. And I was at that point, I was physically addicted to alcohol and Xanax. So I was having seizures a lot. Because if I stopped drinking for like a day, I would have grand mal seizures. Um, And I pretty much cut everybody out of my life that I like, including my family who lives on the other side of the country. And so they knew that something was up. And there was a lot of dramatic events leading up to it. Like they did a wellness check and the paramedics came and saw me through the window face down and they had to break through and take me to the hospital. And I got out of the hospital and went back to what I was doing, which was at that point, um, my neighbor who was a drug dealer was giving me meth. (laughs) I thought it was cocaine, but I was blacked out for like a month and he was giving me meth and I was having seizures nonstop. And it was like, bad living in an empty apartment not eating um so after the wellness check my family was like okay we need to intervene and they hired somebody and they came out here and um showed up at my apartment and I went to the hospital and at that point like at that point it was kind of crazy I was kind of struck sober like I didn't want nobody wants to get to that point Mm -hmm. Um, and I have an issue with people who say that like addiction or alcoholism isn't a disease. It's a choice. Mm. Yeah. It's a choice to pick up in the first place. Kind of. Usually people have circumstances that are driving them to that beyond just having a good time with friends. Right. Mm -hmm. There's some trauma or there's some emotional thing that, um, or some wound that, like the drugs and alcohol is numbing or healing or whatever. So like, yes, you're making a physical choice to like put it in your body kind of, but like it's so much deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, nobody wants to be an addict living on the streets and nobody wants to be living in an empty apartment, having seizures nonstop. So like I had wanted to stop long before that happened and I couldn't, like I would, I don't even know. Like I would, stop drinking but I couldn't stop taking Xanax and then like if I didn't drink for a day then I would be like desperate and Mm -hmm. I would have to drink the next day so I was physically dependent I was mentally dependent and I couldn't ask for help Mm -hmm. so I think I just kind of like resigned to the fact that like whatever was going to happen was going to happen and I just kept like blotting out consciousness which is pretty much what I was doing and, um, but when my family showed up and I, I had a seizure when they got to my apartment and like, that was it. It was like <laughs> the jig is up. Like I can't yeah. lie to them anymore. They just saw me fall and have a grand mal seizure. They saw my, the squalor that I'm living in, you know, I was in the hospital for like four days, I think before I was cleared to go to treatment because of the seizures. And, um, and I just had this moment of clarity where, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I was like, okay, that's it. Mm-hmm. I'm done. Like done. And I just knew that that was it. And it was hard, but at the same time, like anything was easier than the way I was living. Yeah. You know, what was treatment like? Treatment was, well, it's funny. The first 30 days, I really don't remember. Mm. I was in such a fog. I mean, when you're using like that. Yeah. Um, and it's crazy because our insurance companies often, will not even pay for 30 days. A lot of times they'll only pay for like detox. Mm. And, and like 
my mind was so warped at that point that like, even though I had, I had to get rid of my car at that point, I had no apartment to go back to. I had no job. I had Mm -hmm. no friends, no relationship, nothing. I got to treatment and I was like, you know, I really have to get back to my life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's like a really common thing. And everybody in treatment, like, was pretty much in the same situation that I was in, or, you know, their, their home was broken or, you know, their, their spouse was threatening divorce or they lost their job or whatever. Like people usually end up in treatment because of consequences, Mm -hmm. not because they just wake up one day and are like, you know what? I want to be better. Mm -hmm. Um, so everyone is there for the same reason and everybody thinks that they know how to run the show. (laughs) So everybody is like, no, like I, I need to get out at three weeks or like, I'm not staying 60 days. Like I'm good at 30 days yeah. and it's just crazy. So I was kind of like that initially. Um, but then I just kind of like, I leaned into it, you know, I, I knew I wanted to be sober, um, and like treatment compared to how I was living before I went there, even though I had none of like the freedoms that I had outside because I had you know, groups that I had to go to and Mm -hmm. we couldn't leave the grounds. And, um, I still felt way freer than I felt before I got there because I was such a prisoner of drugs and alcohol. I couldn't leave my apartment because Mm -hmm. I was petrified of people. You know, I was afraid that I was going to have a seizure. I couldn't drive. I couldn't go to the store. I couldn't Mm -hmm. do anything. So my world was literally me and like my computer and like Netflix and my neighbor who was mm-hmm. giving me drugs, you know, that was it. Um, so, so yeah, freedom or treatment was really kind of freeing for me. So then leaving that, how did your life look? Well, I was really lucky because I had a group that my family hired that I worked with who kind of take the reins Mm -hmm. and they, you know, cause so many times I had gone to treatment and the decisions were left to my family who know nothing about alcoholism or addiction. They don't know what the best move is for me after I get out of treatment. And of course I was a manipulative addict who was like, no, I don't need to go to sober living. Like I just need to go back to school or like, I just need to get a different job or whatever. And so I would always go to treatment, leave and get fucked up again. Mm -hmm. Um, so they hired this group who works with the family and with the, they call it the afflicted individual, um, for like a minimum of 18 months. And so they do everything from coordinating treatment to aftercare to like sober living. So I worked with somebody who became like family to me, Mm -hmm. who was like, no, you're not going to leave treatment at 30 days. (laughs) I'm like, no, actually you're not going to leave at 60 days and go back to West Hollywood. Like, Mm -hmm. no. So after I did 90 days of inpatient, I went to Orange County and I did another 90, yeah, three months of like another treatment, all women. That was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. (laughs) It's like, are you serious? I was the president of my rehab. (laughs) I was like, I am the model alcoholic. Yeah. I was like, do you see everything that I'm doing? I don't need more treatment. And I had everybody at the treatment center too, like my therapists and all of, they were advocating for me and like, no, she doesn't need more treatment. And this guy, Michael, who my family hired was like, 
no she needs more treatment and I was like shit I'll never forget like I I went to this like ritzy um rehab in Utah where like Lindsay Lohan went and like Mary Kate Olsen and Uh Demi Moore and all these people um so I went from there to we went to Costa Mesa and I did like an intake it was this like sketchy little building and this white van pulls up with like a bunch of girls in it and they're like get in and I was like oh oh my my god God. (laughs) and I had lived in Orange County before I got sober and I like had a house on the water and I was like totally like a shady bitch like (laughs) like just partying all the time and like just doing really sketchy shit but like I went from that to like the white rehab van and I was like wow this is so humbling and like all women like I hate women like yeah. no um so that was really that was actually probably what like that was where I got my foundation in sobriety mm. because it was so challenging for me um but it was like where so much growth happened, you know, like as we know, growth doesn't happen in comfort zones. And that was really, really uncomfortable. And um, it was the first time that I really had to like surrender and Mm -hmm. like admit that I didn't know what was best for me. And like, just, yeah. So that was, that was really important. And then after that, I went to sober living in LA where I was for another six months. Mm -hmm. And, um, that is another place where I also kind of like strengthened my foundation in my recovery and met a lot of sober people here and got involved in that community. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was pretty much in a treatment environment for a year, okay. which is crazy that it was only like almost six years ago yeah. because it feels like a different life. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I have so many things that I'm thinking in my head. But so when you left the treatment environment, were you scared? Um, no, I was, you know, like I, I still go back to like that first day when my family showed up, like I knew I was done mm-hmm. and like, I was people it's so cheap, it's so corny but they say like you have the gift of desperation like mm-hmm. god gift and I had that like I was desperate to be sober and and also like it had been so long that I had been kind of like a prisoner of drugs and alcohol like yeah. I could not I couldn't go to Whole Foods without drinking wine before. Like mm-hmm. I just had this thing like and I didn't understand how other people could function in the world without having to use substances Mm -hmm. like I just couldn't do the simplest things like people say this a lot in recovery but like I felt like everyone else got a a manual for life and I didn't get it Mm -hmm. and so I was always just like fumbling along and I needed like a crutch so when I finally got sober I felt so good Mm -hmm. and I was like just I could be a person in society Mm -hmm. and like that was enough to keep me going and like I said I got involved in um like the recovery community here Mm -hmm. in LA which is huge and um so I had that support and I just had so much support so I really wasn't I wasn't scared per se um do you think that's is that why you like such a homebody now uh why like just like having partied for so long oh 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, I go through phases too. Like sometimes mm-hmm. I'm really like, I want to go out and I'm out a lot. And then other times I'm just a homebody. But yeah, like I also, I'm very much like set in my ways. So I mm-hmm. like to go to bed by like, I want to be in bed at 930 mm-hmm. or 10, you know, like I go to bed really early and I get up early and um, yeah, but I go through phases with that. Is it hard at all being like, in the Hollywood sphere with that history? No, you'd be surprised at how many people in that world are sober. Mm. Um, And like being sober, honestly, gave me everything that I was trying to get from drinking. So like Mm. alcohol gave me confidence and like self-assuredness and I wasn't self-conscious and I felt like I could be like amongst other people and Um, that was all stuff that I didn't have, like qualities that I didn't have when I was sober because I was just so like scared. Like I was, I was driven by fear Mm. pretty much my whole life. Um, and so that was one of the major reasons why I drank. So when I got sober, like, yeah, I still deal with fear because I think we all do. Um, but I, I kind of felt like like I had gotten over that. Like I actually felt the opposite. I felt like confident in my own skin and I felt like I could show up and that made me feel good about myself. Um, as far as like the Hollywood thing, um, I just don't notice it. Like I don't notice Mm -hmm. when people are drinking or not. And I've never been around anybody doing drugs Mm -hmm. in that environment. You know, we go to a lot of functions where there's drinking and stuff, but Mm -hmm. like, it just doesn't, I just don't notice. We are going to take a brief pause from this chat with Ariel to chat about today's podcast sponsor, which is Blue Blocks Blue Light Blocking Glasses. You know that this is my favorite blue light blocking glasses brand out there on the market because they are 100% blue light blocking and tested and backed by science. Wearing blue light blocking glasses regularly has been a game changer for my daily productivity, my sleep, my energy levels, and even my mood. Wearing blue light blocking glasses can help to balance your hormones, reduce hunger cravings, improve your mood, make you happier, more positive. It can also help increase your energy levels because it gives you better sleep, deeper sleep, more dreams, feeling more relaxed at night. It's also great if you have any headaches during the day or struggle with eye strain, especially if you're looking at a computer, you definitely need to check out these glasses. They have three different pairs. So the one type of lens that everyone needs would be the Sleep Plus Red Lens, which is a 100% blue and green light blocking lens for after sunset use. So you put this on when the sun goes down and keep them on before bed, and this will help to improve your sleep, reduce your anxiety, and relax you overall. Trust me. You have not slept until you've used the Sleep Plus beforehand. And these are red lenses, not just the orange lenses because those don't block out the full spectrum of blue and green light that you need them to. And then during the day, there is the blue light clear lens, which I'm wearing right now. And that is a blue light filtering lens for during the day. Best for people who work more in natural lighting. This helps prevent headaches, digital eye strain, any macular degeneration. And then there is the Summer Glow Yellow Lens, which is blue light blocking meets color therapy. And these would be best for somebody who works under intense artificial lighting during the day and or someone who struggles with migraines, anxiety, or seasonal depression. So basically, my daily routine is wear the blue light clear lens during the day and then the sleep plus red lens when it starts to get dark outside. And then I put on my Remedy sleep mask, which is their 100% light blocking sleep mask. 
And I use that when I sleep so that it just blocks out all the light and it really helps to improve your REM and deep sleep cycles, which I have tracked with my aura ring. So that's really helpful. And in my new apartment, my blinds let way too much light in. So this has been a game changer. Blue Blocks has a ton of different frames to pick from, about 20. You can also send in your own frames. You can have a custom-made prescription for you if you wear prescription glasses. So there is something for everyone and for every pair of Blue Blocks they sell, they donate a pair of reading glasses to Restoring Vision, which is a charity-based out of LA, and they will gift those reading glasses to someone in need. There is a huge Cyber Monday sale going on right now. So their current sale through Cyber Monday will end at midnight on December 2nd. And you can use the code BF2019 for 25% off of your purchase from blueblocks.com. So that's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com. And if you're listening to this before December 2nd, 2019, then use that code BF2019 for 25% off your purchase. If you're listening to this after December 2nd, 2019, then go ahead and use my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S for 15% off your purchase at blueblocks.com. I've had so many of you guys tell me that you switch over to Blue Blocks because you're wearing a different brand before and it has made a world of a difference and I'm so happy to hear that and I think these are a great gift for people for the holidays as well because everybody needs a pair of blue light blocking glasses at minimum in the evening but ideally during the whole day and if you want to learn more about the science behind this go ahead and listen to episode 230 with founder Andy Mant. Okay, now that you know all about my favorite pair of blue light blocking glasses from Blue Blocks, let's go ahead and hop into this chat with Ariel Laurie. Are you still connected with anyone from before sobriety? Not really. So it's kind of funny, like once you maybe reach a, a certain level of success or like exposure, like people start coming out of the woodwork <laughs> and um so people that like I used to party with will be like, Hey, like slide in my DMS. And I'm like, mm, no. absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and pretty much though, like my friends were, were like party friends. Mm-hmm. Um, there were no like real relationships after high school. I just kind of floated around. Like I lived in Florida for a little bit and then I moved back to Rhode Island and then I went to Orange County and then I came here and it's nothing like against any of the people because Um, It's not like they were all alcoholics and addicts, but um, I just have a very different life now. Yeah. I just asked because, I mean, so I went through a pretty like traumatic health scare when I was in college and I always think like I just became a completely different person and I Mm -hmm. call that period the dark ages and I say anyone from my past life, like I call it my past life, Mm -hmm. like I just don't mix anything from before and after and I feel like that whole time period, it's just like a dream from a long time like mm-hmm. a long and I just don't really talk to anyone and I, I don't like mixing my new life with my old life it's yeah, I don't know it's funny you say that because I definitely think of my life kind of in two sections too mm-hmm. it's like before and after and I'm sure you feel like this too like I'm so detached from the person that I was yeah. before and I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing like I definitely have compassion for myself Mm -hmm. but I just don't recognize myself because I'm such a different person now um and 
Yeah, like somebody messaged me recently who was from like before. And actually, I do have some friends from like Mm -hmm. childhood and like high school that I still talk to. Um, But mostly people that I didn't like party with or anything. Yeah. But somebody messaged me from the before recently. And I was like, this is like a talk toxicity like leaking into yeah, my life now yeah. yeah and I was like Ew, that's just like energy like I don't want that kind of energy now. it's totally different energy mm-hmm. and I think also for me there will be people who I knew from childhood and there's nothing wrong with them but I just I feel like I can't connect with I'm like because yeah. I'm so different and they're trying to talk to me like I'm Christina from 10 years ago and I'm like right she's not there like so I yeah. just feel weird I'm like we just don't have anything yeah in common anymore yeah I get um, that. but so is that when you started getting into health and wellness so the first I would say the first like two years of sobriety were were solely focused on sobriety mm-hmm. <laughs> like building a foundation my mental emotional health um I was like working with a trainer a little bit but like I you have to remember that like for 10 years, I mean, I was the picture of like not health and wellness. (laughs) I was smoking a pack a day, like waking up and drinking and doing cocaine, (laughs) like sleeping two hours a night and like baking myself in the sun, never worked out and like maybe eating like del taco like (laughs) so you've made a transition yeah (laughs) I mean it was gnarly like god I don't even know how I'm alive right now (laughs) the things that I did but um so so I had no idea like I didn't even know what like wellness was and like I didn't have I wasn't like on Instagram at that time and, um, and the whole wellness industry at that time, I don't think at least it wasn't like as accessible online as it is now. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, so what happened was I was working with a trainer. I had gained weight when I got sober because I had gone from like malnourished, never eating and just subsisting on wine basically, mm-hmm. um, to like eating a lot and your body regard, no matter what, it's going to like kind of fluctuate a little Mm -hmm. bit so I gained weight and um and I've always been very petite but it was kind of frustrating for me so I was seeing a trainer it was not helping at that time my only the only like motivating factor for like being quote-unquote well or like healthy Mm -hmm. was that I wanted to have abs (laughs) And, and I talk about that a lot but like that was pretty much what started this whole thing. Yeah. I was like, I felt uncomfortable in my skin. Yeah. Like I felt mentally good, mm-hmm. but, um, but like I just, my, I was not comfortable with my body and, and I was feeling like lethargic and, um, just having different issues. I was bloating a lot. So that was kind of when BBG was like a big thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's still big, but, um, shout out BBG. They just <laughs> sent me an email the other day. So they're, <laughs> um, they're not listening. But <laughs> yeah, they're not. <laughs> you never know. Um, but it was like really big at that point. It was new. Mm-hmm. And I would see these girls like Kelsey Wells. Mm-hmm. And there were a few like other like OG BBG girls who would do their before and after. And I was like, oh, I need that. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I need to do. So I downloaded BBG. And that's when I started my Instagram account. And at the time, like I was, I've always been kind of a healthy eater. Like, mm-hmm except for the drug years, drug and alcohol years and fast food and all of that. (laughs) But like growing up, I was fortunate because we always ate like really fresh food, whole foods. My Mm -hmm. parents both cooked a lot. So I never really was like into 
quote unquote junk food and candy and stuff like that. Um, so when I got sober, I was like, I was shopping in Whole Foods and Erewhon and all of that stuff, but I just didn't know like how to eat for my body. And, um, and I had a lot of underlying issues that were going on. So that was kind of my introduction was through BBG. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. Yeah. And you had a pretty like incredible BBG transformation. And (laughs) I, I always would see photos and be like, I don't believe these people. (laughs) Like, but that was real. You did, you just did BBG. Yeah. So that was how I felt too. When I would see before and afters, I was like, this girl is eating 400 fucking calories a day Mm -hmm. and she's doing two hours of cardio and maybe BBG, Mm -hmm. but like, I don't believe it. And yeah, it's true. That shit changes your body, but it is so hard. It's so hard. I tried doing it yesterday and I could only do seven minutes. And I was like, no wonder I ran my body into the ground two years ago because I was doing it. So I would do BBG three times a week Mm -hmm. plus the challenge. So that's four times a week of like super high intensity resistance training, plyometric, Mm -hmm. like basically just jumping jumping yeah (laughs) until you die yeah (laughs) and then like three days a week of cardio Uh on top of that so I was doing that it's a lot and I was like I am health Mm -hmm. like this is wellness like that's what I thought at the time and um and of course with that came like in the beginning some restricting I was like okay I'm gonna do this and then I'm not gonna eat carbs and like I'm gonna like not eat fat like I just had different Mm -hmm. things that I was trying I was constantly feeling like I was dieting so I was binging a lot where I would like restrict all day and then binge at night but Mm -hmm. my binge would be like arctic zero (laughs) with like cacao nibs but it would be so like it was just bad yeah um so it's been an evolution over the past three and a half years from that so uh, when so now what is your workout routine like you still do any BBG? Occasionally, if I have like, it have kind energy? of depends. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and honestly, it depends. It depends where I am in my menstrual cycle. Oh, yeah. If it's like right before I, I'm getting my period mm-hmm. and I have tons of energy, yeah, I can do BBG. I can jump for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but no, so this year, I don't even, I feel kind of weird even saying this, but like, I feel like I've barely worked out. My workout is like walking, like I'll walk on the beach with my dog. Mm-hmm. Um, I will do Pilates here and there. I kind of go through phases like this year has been, I've just had a lot going on and like I had a surgery in April, I had an injury, I had like different things. So like as soon as I would get some momentum with working out, mm-hmm. something would happen. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I also just kind of learned how to like ease up on my body like mm-hmm. I had this idea for the first couple of years of having this wellness account and journey whatever you want to call it that like like rigidity was the solution mm-hmm. like I have to be rigid with my diet because x y and z is inflammatory and can exacerbate my gut issues so I have mm-hmm. to be really cautious with that and then I have to like do this workout mm-hmm. six days a week and what happened was it had the opposite effect on my body. So I was bloating a lot because I was paranoid about what I was eating. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, I've had like gut issues that I've been working out, but they're so much better when I just don't really give a shit about them. Yeah. Um, and then like with working out, I, 
I like just beat my body down by doing PBG. Um, and I was counting macros at the time. So I was eating like 1400 calories a day. So it was just not enough. Mm -hmm. Um, and what was the question? <laughs> I just lost I was just asking what your workout routine was like. So, you're oh, just, yeah. So I'm flows. going off on a tangent. No. Yeah. So, so after that, like I kind of learned how to like tune into my body more yeah. and I feel like I'm kind of lucky in that like my body responds best to like being gentle on it. Mm -hmm. So Pilates, mm -hmm. I'm doing a lot of Melissa Wood Health now. Mm -hmm. So she has like anywhere from 14 to like 30 minute flows, which I did a 23 minute one today. No weights or anything, just arms and abs. And I was fucking dying, yeah. like burning. It's so, but it's low intensity. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I find works best given all my issues going on. Mm -hmm. um, and just like with my lifestyle, I just, like I said, occasionally if I have tons of energy, I'll do something or I'll do like a hit cardio thing. Mm -hmm. But people always ask me like what my workout routine is now. And I'm like, I don't really have one. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like just whatever I feel like doing yeah. that day. Well, like your evolution of exercise is, I think a similar trajectory that I see a lot of people figuring out. And I think a lot of us, when we come into health and wellness, like we do the BBG or we do this workout program and we like think like it's working. So like this has mm -hmm. to be it. And then we burn ourselves out and then you just start holding on to it. If you keep going that hard. Right. And you literally have to surrender. For yeah. It to come off. Yeah. And I mean, I also just think the female body is not designed to withstand that much. Like, yeah the, the intensity we put on it like we're different than men totally you know so i think yeah. a lot of women it, it takes it's like it's scary to trust that mm -hmm. you know like if you ease up that it'll be a fine yeah and like i think like i really did love bbg because it took the guesswork out of it yeah so and it provided like structure so it made me fall in love with working out mm -hmm. so like i used to go into the gym and have no clue what to do yeah. and i like wouldn't push myself because why would I <laughs> like, yeah, like I'm not yeah like I'm not gonna push myself to the point where it's uncomfortable necessarily mm -hmm. and I didn't know what I was doing so the BBG app and the different programs like I do like power Kelsey's program mm -hmm. um and BBG stronger they made it so easy because I would just go in there and like do whatever it told me to do mm -hmm. and I did feel better initially and I saw changes in my body and I felt like I was like challenging myself and meeting mm -hmm. that challenge. And so that helps with self-esteem and all of that. So it was really positive in the beginning. And I think for people like who don't know where to start, um, I mean, I think it's kind of like you can go either way. Like you can start by just going for a walk, mm -hmm. but like, I think there is something to be said for getting used to like being consistent yeah. and like some structure, but, um, but yeah, like, our bodies know, mm -hmm. like our bodies know what, what it can handle and like what, you know, what your energy is for that day. Right. Yeah. And so to just wake up every day and make yourself do, mm -hmm. make yourself eat a certain amount of calories mm -hmm. and like make yourself do a certain amount of working out or a certain intensity, mm -hmm. like we're constantly like in a cycle and in a flow and mm -hmm. our energy and our needs and everything fluctuates every single day. Mm -hmm. So to just try to conform to like one static thing day in and day out is just not realistic. Yeah. 100%. I, I want to talk also about your gut health history and how you started figuring out that you had some underlying issues. 
Yeah. (laughs) I'm kind of going through it now. So um, my gut health history has been plentiful. (laughs) I feel you. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I don't even know where to start. Um, I guess three years ago, I was having a lot of bloating and kind of overnight, I started having like really bad digestive issues. Like anything I ate was just running through me. Mm -hmm. And um, at that time, it was kind of when I was just starting out like in the Instagram world and all of that. And like I said before, I didn't know that like so much of this existed. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I'll just go to a gastroenterologist because that's a gut doctor. (laughs) And of course, I love my doctor and he's amazing, I think, for like interventional GI stuff and whatever it's called. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, But he was like, oh, it's probably SIBO, like go on these antibiotics. So I'm on like Rifaxin and or Zyfaxin and whatever the others round after round after round of antibiotic for Mm -hmm. SIBO, which like I never even did a test for Mm. and with no nothing else to support my microbiome or anything so I think that probably just made it a hundred times worse um and that went on for a year finally I got a colonoscopy and I was diagnosed with lymphocytic colitis which is not related to ulcerative colitis but Mm -hmm. the symptoms were pretty much the same um and the same doctor put me on all these different drugs nothing was working and then we found one that did work and it was like after going through that for like at that point it had been a year and a half I was like fuck yes I will take 900 or nine milligrams it was three pills of a corticosteroid um and you're only supposed to be on it for like two weeks or three weeks and I was on it for two years well (laughs) but I didn't know yeah and like I thought that that was the answer I was Mm -hmm. like oh this medication stops my symptoms yeah and I can live my life again and so like why fix it it's you know if it ain't broke but what happened was um obviously that was just a band-aid for the symptoms and after like the first year of that I noticed that I was getting really fatigued I was having bloating again um really bad nausea to the point where I was taking like Zofran all day every day I couldn't work a lot because I couldn't even drive I was so tired and that's when I went to see a nutritionist Rob Mm -hmm. um and he tested like we did GI panels and sensitivity testing and all this. And he found underlying stuff. So mm-hmm. like yeast, bacterial overgrowth and a parasite. And within a few weeks of doing like herbal cleansing with him, mm-hmm. I was pretty much better, <laughs> which was crazy. I mean, I could function again. Um, the issue was that I was still on that steroid, which was giving me a whole whole other issue because it was suppressing my immune system, especially mm-hmm. being on it for so long. So I was getting sick a lot and I was so, um, my body was reliant on the steroid. So if I missed it for a day, I was right back to square one with the colitis symptoms that I was having before. Mm -hmm. Um, so for a year I had to wean myself off of that, which was really hard. Going off a steroid is not fun. (laughs) And, um, but yeah, but I, I, eliminated foods that I was sensitive to and then some like common irritants and I supplemented with you know natural things that Rob had me go on Mm -hmm. and I was pretty much better Mm -hmm. and uh I that was end of last year so I was pretty much good until 
I had a flare up earlier this year and that, and now I'm having a flare up again. Um, but I think, I think we know why it's going on now. <laughs> why so, is that? I had dental work a couple weeks ago and I was under anesthesia for like seven hours. Okay. And so Rob said that there is actually a certain type of bacteria that you can get like unique to dental work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also the anesthesia. And then also I was taking like Advil. Mm-hmm three times a day, which mm-hmm. I never do. Yeah. Um, and just so it was kind of like a perfect storm. Mm-hmm. So um, hoping that that was it because that would be an easy solution. Yeah. But, you know, I, I did a test recently and it showed that I have bacteria. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. You could probably tell me more about this. But like, I feel like we're kind, we're always going to have some like bad bacteria right or like there's yeah I don't know but if you're symptomatic right that's one thing yeah you know Mm -hmm. um and I think it's hard when when it comes to a point where it's over and over again like Mm -hmm. I mean for you I would keep watching it because it could have been the dental work for sure but it's like you know if he if you support your body right now and you start to get better and then something else comes back like yeah it's not normal for symptoms to come back over and over and like I mean that was basically the last four years of my life and then finding out root cause stuff and it's like oh there's a much bigger picture because mm-hmm. if there's like a bigger underlying infection you're gonna keep getting gut issues over and over I think with me and this is just my hypothesis but I think it all comes down to stress mm-hmm. and not Very stress common. of like yes there's like work stress and relationship stress and just mm-hmm. you know the things that we all experience in life but I also think that the things that happened to me and that I did in my addiction mm-hmm. in those 10 years um, might be kind of subconsciously resurfacing. And mm-hmm. then I also have a huge trauma mm-hmm. from then, um, which I've talked about before, but like big T trauma that I just buried when I got sober. And I was like, yeah. and I thought like I was, I thought that I got closure on it. I was like, oh yeah, like it's done. I can deal with it moving on. And then just this year, really, I realized, like, actually, I never dealt with it. Mm-hmm. And I really believe in, I'm not very woo-woo, but, like, I really believe in, like, trapped energy in your body. Mm-hmm. And, um, and like, trauma in your body is real. 100%. So <clears throat> I think, like, all of my hormone issues, my period issues, mm-hmm. um, my gut issues, if I do have SIBO again, you know, probably is because of stress. Yeah. I mean, I'm very woo-woo and I believe in all that for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Especially like anything recurring or chronic, Mm -hmm. it's almost always trauma, whether it's big T or little T. Yeah. And like, I mean, and I'm aware of it because I feel like I'm so attuned to my body now that, I mean, I can feel certain days I'm in fight or flight Mm -hmm. 75% of the day. Yeah. Even if there's nothing like obvious going on that's Mm -hmm. stressful um and so I know that that's something like deep in there like in my psyche that Mm -hmm. needs to be worked out so I am in therapy working it out and um this almost kind of like correlates with like the the recent flare-up and then this now has also correlated with like doing trauma work and Mm. therapy so I think it's all connected probably Mm -hmm. in terms of like dietary changes have you found like what I know you mentioned before, like, when you just don't care, it's better. Is there anything else you've noticed, like, or any big triggers that for you, you're like, if I eat this, I know it's... 
Well, when I say like if I I don't care, like I still eat gluten free, yeah. dairy free, refined sugar free. The wellness version of not caring. Yeah. Um, I know what you mean. But like people, I think that in some people's eyes, that's restrictive. And like even my husband, like he's old school. He's a different generation. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get it. But he's like, what, like, what can you eat? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't feel like that at all. Like I don't eat uh, gluten, dairy, refined sugar. Those are the main ones. Mm-hmm. I stay away from soy too. But if I'm at like an Asian restaurant, I'm not going to like leave because mm-hmm. there's soy in my food. Um, but I, I don't eat those because I feel better if I don't. So that's really like where all of my decisions come from about like working out, of course, and then also um, nutrition. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I mean, not caring is more like um, just not being like not caring about macros and stuff, not caring about macros, but also last year, like when I was healing my gut, it was necessary to be really careful about what I was eating because I didn't want to eat something inflammatory and just drag the problem on. I really Mm -hmm. wanted to be, um, like vigilant with that, but now, yeah, I mean, so I, I still avoid common irritants, but I just, um, I don't worry about it as much, I guess. Mm -hmm. There's like a whole, like there's what you eat and then there's the conversation that you have with yourself Mm -hmm. around it. Yeah. And like before I would have a conversation of like, okay, what is this? Where's the source? Mm -hmm. And like, sometimes I'll do that. Sure. But, um, I try to like just eat Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, and enjoy it and like not think about it too much. Yeah. And, and yeah, the macros was a big part of it too, because that takes a while to kind of get those numbers out of your head. Mm-hmm. Were you like doing like low fat or high fat or, or are you trying to? Um, no. So when I was doing macros, I was, I think I was like 45% carbs oh, and wow. then like 30%, 40% carbs, 30%, maybe 40, 30, 30, something yeah. like that. Some variation um, where... I think my protein was always lowest and then mm-hmm. fat and then carbs. Um, but yeah, now I try to eat, like I feel best eating high fat. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Rob would want me to do PFF, which yeah. I don't always do. <laughs> I'm like, I like carbs. Like I yeah. feel good when I have carbs, mm-hmm. like, and not like the kind of carbs that we vilify, yeah. obviously. but like, you know, I eat like rice and yeah. quinoa and like, squash and vegetables and crackers Mm -hmm. and chips Mm -hmm. and I make muffins and you know whatever um so yeah I don't like subscribe to any diet there there are many women in particular who if they go low carb for too long I see this over and over again women who have gut issues and they're put on a lower a lower carbohydrate diet to deal with those and it helps to get rid of it but then they stay on it for a long period of time and then it just I mean, their adrenals are shot, their hormones mm-hmm. are not where they need to be, and then it can actually cause more bloating in the long run, mm-hmm. and then it's like you finally add more carbs in, and the body calms down, and the bloating goes away. Yeah. So, I mean, I think so many people just, we get out of touch with what our bodies need, you know? Yeah, and like, yeah, there's something to be said about like, not going through the blood sugar roller coaster, mm-hmm. but like, you know your body. Yeah. Like, if I eat rice with my dinner, I'm not going to be like spiked. Yeah. You know, especially <laughs> if I have like healthy fats yeah. and protein or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, if I have, like, I know with a smoothie, if I drink 
of a whole smoothie, yeah, I'm going to be cracked out for like mm-hmm. an hour because <laughs> I'm so sensitive mm-hmm. and then I'm going to crash. Yeah. So like if I get a smoothie or I make one, like I'll have half mm-hmm. and that's like, and I'll put like almond butter in there and you know, whatever. Um, so again, it's just like listening to my body, Yeah. but it takes a while to learn 100%. how to do that. Also, do you feel like being in the wellness space and like on Instagram and on the blog, like, does that complicate things for you? Because I know for me, like having had to go through so many different elimination diets and all my gut issues, I'm like, I want to make this fucking recipe and I can't because like, I can't eat this right now because it kills me. Like, you know, or even just, well, you take, I don't really do pictures of myself, but you Mm -hmm. take a lot of pictures with yourself and I'm like on days when you feel bloated, like I'm sure that's freaking hard emotionally. Yes. And I think, again, this year, I've kind of learned how to like have boundaries with it. Mm -hmm. So if I don't feel like posting, and I'm feeling like shit Mm -hmm. about myself, or like, because I'm human, it happens. I'm not going to post because, you know, I just know now that like, I don't need the added stress of that on top of it. Um, The food thing is hard, like trying to write a cookbook when you're having gut issues, not easy. Mm -hmm. Um, It's all, you know, gut friendly and that it's like gluten free all the things that we talked about um but there's a lot that I kind of need to stay away from right Mm -hmm. now because my gut is so jacked up yeah so it's hard that I'm like I have this deadline and I'm trying to meet it but I'm also trying to like make muffins and cookies Mm -hmm. and (laughs) and like stuff like that and test it you know Mm -hmm. at least so that so that that part is challenging um but yeah, it's hard. Like the whole social media thing. It's been a three and a half year lesson in boundaries with myself and learning how to like set healthy boundaries and when, like when to prioritize my mental health before mm-hmm. my job. Yeah. So what, what are like the strong boundaries you have to set for that? Well, I never go and explore. <laughs> Um, that one that's just like where terrible things happen (laughs) like I feel like you know when people complain about what they're seeing on social media it's like we have full control over what we see on social media we do so if you're going off and like going into a rabbit hole that's on you and I know it's like so easy to let it happen but I can be in the best mood and feel like so good and have just meditated and whatever, Mm -hmm. be having a great day and go on social media and like go on explore, you know, and find myself 10 photos in off one person's page to another, to another. And then I'm looking at some model, (laughs) you know, and then I feel like shit. Yeah. So that's a no for me. Um, And then like, yeah, just being, honest with myself about like why am I posting mm-hmm. um not posting and not being on it when when I'm not feeling like I can handle it mm-hmm. um and it's hard because it is my job so and I have management and mm-hmm. they work on commission and mm-hmm. off of me and so like I have to um I still have to perform <laughs> yeah. my job but like the thing with social media is that there are no boundaries to begin with so there are no hours and there's no days off and so many people are on 24 hours a day seven Mm -hmm. days a week that that's just kind of what's expected Mm -hmm. so to pull back from that and be like okay I realize that this is my job but like I also have my life yeah um 
it helps that like my husband is super, super private. He Mm -hmm. doesn't have social media. Most of my friends don't have social media or they have it, but we don't like post stories together. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not really active on it. Um, So like it kind of helps me to not be on it all the time Mm -hmm. because like I'm not going to be storying with my husband and I'm not sitting there on my phone when he's home or doing something together. And like if I'm out with my friends, like we're not taking pictures of like the table escape, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, of like dinner. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that helps to like also have boundaries and have it feel more like, um, like work. And Mm -hmm. then this is like my life over here. Yeah. I feel like when I first started getting into this world, it was like all of my friends were also on social media and had blogs and whatever. And I, uh, no boundaries. <laughs> yeah. And like the more friends I have who are just not in this space or just like not on social media, I feel just more stable and grounded yeah. because if I'm with someone who's not on their phone, I forget about my phone, mm-hmm. you know, exactly. and people who have nine to fives, they get to leave at the end of the day and their right. work computer isn't there with them. Right. It's like, yeah, we don't, you go home it's still there it's there it's all there on the weekends there when you wake up Mm -hmm. like it's it takes a lot of self-control absolutely and it's not just like the work end of it there's like the comments I try to respond to every single comment because again like I started this account to like share my journey and to Mm -hmm. connect with people and when people take the time to comment or ask something Mm -hmm. or like just leave something nice like I want to reciprocate that Mm -hmm. Um, because it's like what I said before like putting my energy out there and Mm -hmm. not having it reciprocated like I don't like that that's not an exchange like I like the exchange I think that's the only good thing about social media Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's DMs and like I want to get back to DMs but I get hundreds a day um, so it's impossible but like there's no boundaries and somebody someone recently like like type yelled at me because I didn't respond to her DM in like a timely manner. Oh my god. And it's just like people want Instant access yeah. now. Yeah. And and it's coming from every direction. And it's not just Instagram, mm-hmm. it's email and it's texting and like Yeah. So it's really important to like not be attached to your phone all the time. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, it's so helpful to be with people who aren't because then you're like way more cognizant of how much you are and like how to Mm -hmm. not do that. Do you ever like get worried about if Instagram just went down forever, like tomorrow? For sure. Because that's I mean it's still like where the majority of my audience and my business is Mm -hmm. um which was a little bit of like the motivating factor in redoing my website Mm -hmm. um but you know I kind of feel like if you have an audience like if Instagram went down they're gonna find you wherever you go next um and I really I truly feel like something else is coming like soon I feel like another platform or like yeah. in your business. No, in the uh, another platform. Uh-uh. I don't know why I've been feeling like this lately. Um, maybe I'm just like paranoid, but I feel like like it's on record now. Yeah, so you I know you it. heard it here first. <laughs> Instagram will be around for like 20 more years yeah. with, alone. I don't think it will. Honestly, I think it's gonna. I mean, so if you look at like social media's history, right? Yeah, MySpace was what only. 10 years ago mm-hmm. a little more than 10 years wow. ago now it's obsolete yeah. facebook was so facebook was maybe 10 years ago mm-hmm. maybe myspace was a little bit more 
um, Facebook was the end all be all. And now Facebook is like sucks for the grandparents. (laughs) (laughs) And like Instagram, I mean, I just, I feel like, um, for a few reasons, I feel like something else is going to come along. I don't know what, maybe Mm -hmm. it will move more into audio and Mm -hmm. like podcasting and, um, maybe video, maybe TikTok. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I tried doing TikTok and I was like, I'm not 12, so yeah. I can't do this. Um, but, but people are just over Instagram, I yeah. think. Like, first of all, brands don't care about your reach anymore because they know that the majority of people are on stories and mm-hmm. consumers who are actually going to buy something are going to buy something from a story where there's a link with a swipe up mm-hmm. because they're lazy. They're mm-hmm. not going to see necessarily they're not going to see like an in-feed post because Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't even go there anymore yeah like I said before people don't want to scroll and they're not gonna like see something in a picture and be like oh what is this where can I go and Mm -hmm. buy so um and I think Instagram knows that and so they're trying to enhance IGTV and Instagram stories because they know that that's where like people are going Mm -hmm. so I wonder if somebody will, I mean, look at Snapchat. Yeah. Like yeah. Snapchat was huge a I couple of years ago. I so who's to all. say that nobody is going to come along with something else. And then also the people who are kind of driving the influencer market um, are, I think really fed up. <laughs> yeah. So where do you see your business going in the future? Shit. That's a hard one. <laughs> um, I don't know. I wish I knew. I mean, I kind of... What's like, your favorite part of what, about what you do? I mean, I really love the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the most fulfilling thing that I'm doing right now. Yeah. And um, I really I really believe in it. And I so that's, that's kind of my priority right now. Mm-hmm. Um, once my website... So I redid it and then I'm redoing the redo. <laughs> so once that relaunches... I'm going to put most of my energy there. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, still like maintain my Instagram, but just try to kind of like create a brand that I can control. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I'm coming out with another cookbook mm-hmm. um, and maybe go back to school. Yeah. I don't know. I'm excited I'm to see what sure. happens. Yeah. Honestly, I think everyone should take advantage of the fact that there's this weird middle ground like i don't know it's weird on instagram right now i think everybody should just like go to the like, put everything on their website and like make yeah. products and like just be like everyone find me here yeah because you know? like you can control it and yeah you know you don't have a an algorithm on your own website that's gonna hide your posts right <laughs> from people Ugh, it's so annoying but well i'm excited to see where things go so why Thank don't you, you just tell everyone where they can find more from you so on instagram i'm at ariel lori um my what is it? My website is theblondefiles.com. My podcast is the Blonde Files podcast, but it's all on my Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, YouTube is the Blonde Files. Just go to my Instagram. It's all there. It's all on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much to Ariel for coming on the podcast and sharing more of her story and experience. If you want to connect more with her, just head over to her Instagram at Ariel Lori. You can also find her at theblondefiles.com and on her podcast, The Blonde Files. If you enjoyed the show and you want to show your support, there are a few ways you can do that. First of all, you can share it on social media. If you do that, make sure you tag me, tag Ariel, and tag Wellness Wellness Podcast. And or send the link to the podcast episode to family, 
friends, acquaintances, anyone who you think would find it interesting. You could also leave a rating and a review on iTunes if you haven't already to share your support and help other people find the show. All right, that's going to be it for today's episode. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you have an awesome rest of your day, and I'll chat with you again next time. Bye. Bye.